Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading James chapter 2 from the World English Bible. My brothers, don't hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ of glory with partiality. For if a man with a gold ring in fine clothing comes into your synagogue, and a poor man in filthy clothing also comes in, and you pay special attention to him who wears the fine clothing and say, sit here in a good place, and you tell the poor man, stand there or sit by my footstool, haven't you shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Didn't God choose those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Don't the rich oppress you and personally drag you before the courts? Don't they blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? However, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin, being convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as men who are to be judged by a law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to him who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if a man says he has faith but has no works? Can faith save him? And if a brother or sister is naked and in lack of daily food, and one of you tells them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, yet you didn't give them the things the body needs, what good is it? Even so, faith if it has no works, is dead in itself. Yes, a man will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But do you want to know, vain man, that faith apart from works is dead? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in that he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith worked with his works, and by works faith was perfected. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that by works a man is justified, and not only by faith. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works, in that she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, even so faith apart from works is dead. That is the end of chapter two. Okay, let's just start with talking about verse one, right where it says, don't hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ of glory with partiality. This is not phrased in a way that we speak today. 
I think it means don't attempt to practice. It comes down to what does it mean, hold the faith? Does it mean when you meet together as those of the faith? There is one version of the Bible, the um, New English Translation, which is a relatively new internet version um, that is well thought of, uh, but it translates it, if you possess the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Also, I'll just throw in right here at the beginning that when it's talking about brothers, the word that is translated brothers is gender inclusive to include brothers and sisters. In verse 2, in this translation, it used the word synagogue. In other translations like the English Standard Version and the King James Version, it translates this word as meeting or assembly. But the Blue Letter Bible has a version called Young's Literal Translation, which also says synagogue. I think that this is just may have been a common vocabulary given to any designated place where the Jews met in faith. Then James gets right to making an extreme contrast to make his point. He talks about somebody who's extremely rich as compared to somebody who's filthy poor. And he says, to show partiality means that you are judging someone who is a fellow believer in Jesus Christ as less worthy than other fellow believers, and you're judging them by worldly standards. Hence, this is evil thinking because you're doing it for selfish reasons to gain favor or to avoid something. You're doing it for all the wrong reasons. In verse 5, it says that God chose those poor in this world to be rich in faith. This doesn't mean that he only chose the poor, but that the poor are wholly included, much like God chose Jews and Gentiles, and speaks of that in different ways depending on who is being addressed and for what reason. I've been listening to a number of things recently that talk about the negative inference fallacy, and this seems to be a case where that might be accidentally um, done. So, for instance, in one place, Paul says, Christ died for me. And if you took that the way some people would take this, it would mean that Christ only died for Paul. You can't say that he only died for Paul just because Paul didn't mention all the other people in that particular verse. So, those with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ should not consider any fellow believer lesser whom God has accepted without partiality. Let me list a few other scriptures where it talks about God not showing partiality. Deuteronomy 10.17, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. I'm currently reading the New King James Version on the Blue Letter Bible. Then there's Job chapter 37, verse 24. Therefore, men fear him. He shows no partiality to any who are wise of heart. Acts 10, 34 is where Peter opens his mouth and says, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. And you can probably guess what that's referring to, but I'll leave you to go look it up. In Romans 2, 11, Paul says, For there is no partiality with God. And also he talks about that in Ephesians 6, 9 and Colossians 3, 25. In verse 6, James goes on to say, don't the rich oppress you. He can't be talking about the rich here as fellow believers. He's talking about the rich in general as a worldly designation, because in the systems of the world, those with wealth usually subsequently have more power 
and a large percentage of these people use that power to oppress the poor, the vulnerable, the less fortunate. It doesn't mean poor people are less wicked, for we have all sinned and need to be washed clean of the filth of that sin. But poor people, especially as individuals, have less opportunity and means to oppress others in general. Verse 7 is an indication, more of an indication, that he's not talking about those of faith in this category because he said, the rich blaspheme the honorable name by which we are called. Then in verse 8, we see that it once again really comes down to the second greatest commandment, which is love your neighbor as yourself. And if you are not working out, working this out in your actions, it means you are failing. You are sinning against the law of God that he would, by his Holy Spirit, conform us to because he is love. Verse 10 kind of makes the point that this may seem like a small matter, but James shows by more extreme examples of not loving that it is still an integral part of the law of Christ, the law of freedom, as he calls it, that gives us freedom from the burden of sin to live in pure love. He brings it back around to the idea of judgment, which he said they were doing when they showed partiality to say that even if there are reasons for judgment, we should always be offering mercy. And this reminded me of the um, parable that Jesus tells about the unforgiving servant in Matthew chapter 18, when Peter asks, how many times should I forgive? Then in verse 14, James goes from talking about showing partiality in contrast to faith in God to explaining how we know we have faith in God. And I'm just adding faith in God because a lot of people get confused about what faith is. Faith is believing in something for good reason. So we know if faith in God is real or alive by what we see. Basically, if you say you believe something but won't act like you do, there is good reason to say you or I, if it happens to me, are full of bluster or all talk without substance. So also taking action, making choices according to your faith in God, exercising your faith in who he is and in his principles of love and truth strengthens and encourages you and others for further action and faith. The case of the poor is used again, both specifically and in general. Faithful action is not about saying spiritual sounding things or even doing miracles. There can be miracles based on acting in faith, but usually in our daily lives, faith is going to be seen in all the little things we do, in whether or not we are honest and in how we treat others. Verse 19 is where James emphasizes that admitting there is a God is not enough. He uses the word, the phrase, vain man, and he doesn't seem to be directly addressing his readers, but is saying that if someone thinks faith can be separate from works, then that person is vain. I looked up vain in the Merriam-Webster dictionary, and the first meaning is having undue or excessive pride, which could be part of it. But the second meaning seems to be more in line with the context here of vain being marked by futility or ineffectualness, useless, having no real value or idle. In verse 22, Abraham is given as an example of faith in action. Abraham, the father of the Jews, the beginning of all their promises as a chosen people. And if this doesn't drive the point home to them about faith 
needing to be worked out in action. Nothing will. And the curious result of Abraham acting in faith is he's called a friend of God. Friendship is based on trust and it's reciprocal. And I looked up where that is specifically talked about. And um, you can see it in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 7. And then also you might look at Proverbs 17, 17. Abraham was justified by works because and only because his works were him living according to his faith. Then in verse 24, James still goes on to give the example of a Gentile woman of all things. Again, it seems like he's covering the spectrum, lest they get caught up in honoring themselves for their genetic heritage or living according to the law. Rahab, clearly stated here to be a prostitute, was also justified by living out her faith, faith that was given proof of its existence by what she did. Now, let's make the point that this was not for lying. And I will put a link on the blog about something I have discussed prior to this when we were reading that part of Joshua. But her faith is specifically for sending the spies out another way at risk to herself. In verse 26, we have the final illustration where James reminds them that a body is dead without the spirit. It is useless dust that will disintegrate into the earth. Or you could say a body is not truly a body of a person without the spirit of the person. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 